Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And I have to say, it is, um, it's an absolute joy to be with you this morning. I spent this last week with Greg up at Lakeside Bible Camp doing a family camp. And uh, we had a great time. felt like I got to develop all these kind of relationships with all these new families. It was wonderful. Um, but it's not the same as being here. This is home. And uh, I count it a great blessing to be with you. So thank you for joining us. Um, as we begin, I want to point out in your bulletin, on the inside right, there's a blank space there. That's designed for you to take notes, jot down questions, verses, ideas, whatever you need to process this morning's teaching. Today I'm going to ask even that you write down a couple of these things so you keep note of them because I think they're important for all of us. So please make note of that. Today we are in our final week of our sermon series entitled Everyday Influence, looking at the outward call that we all have as followers of Christ in our day-to-day life. And really this is a series about evangelism designed to help us address what I refer to as our evangel phobia, our fear of evangelism. And in this series, we've been de- deconstructing some of our traditional uh, views of what evangelism means and how we hope that when we understand it more fully, it's actually not going to be something to fear at all. It's actually going to be something incredibly exciting, something joyful, some something of a blessing in which we get to join God in his hope of making all things new. Now, if we go back to the beginning, Greg launched this series discussing this idea that everyone, literally all of humanity, bears the image of God and has the ability to influence, and how this should affect and influence every interaction we have with every single person. Then we discussed what the really good news is. And we found out it actually is really good news. It's not bad news that we're trying to call good news. It actually is really good news. That we learned specifically as we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it changed everything. Literally everything. There's a new creation. And everything that stood between humanity and God was taken care of. Every obstacle Every sin and everything the enemy has uh, us in bondage to or the enemy would like to indict us on was destroyed and utterly obliterated on the cross. It's amazing news. And it's true of every human being. That's why God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has given us, followers of Christ, this message of reconciliation, that's our good news. And it's really good news. Because of the work of Christ, God doesn't count our sins against us. That's a huge amen. Then Greg went on with our series and discussed how we are called to be a royal priesthood. That when we align our hearts with Christ we are given a job description, if you will, and that is to be a royal priesthood, which, as Greg shared, is the most wonderful, most rewarding, best job there is, and it's also the most challenging job. As followers of Christ, we are to be mediators or the conduits of how God's blessings come into this world to those who don't know Jesus as we share this incredible message of reconciliation. And he shared all these Amazing examples of what this looks like, even in the simple tasks of speaking words of encouragement and affirmation and of mercy to people who need to hear it. 
The next week, then, Greg taught what might be my favorite sermon of the entire year. And he taught on what it looks like to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, which if you missed it, uh, I, you, you got to go back and listen to it because it's so important for us to understand. And then last week, Ben led us in a fantastic discussion of what it means to really know the people in our neighborhood and their, our spheres of influence. And he taught how our presence and participation is critical to this and what a difference it makes when we have an authentic, caring relationship with people. And so with this series, what we've seen is that as followers of Christ, we're called, we're invited and empowered to help others accept the fact, the truth, the good news that they have been accepted by God. That's what we're learning. We're invited to help people accept this reality that so many people we know have no idea. Today, as we close out this series, we will be getting at this reality that everyone, literally all humanity, has a heart that ultimately hungers for God. That everyone has a hungry heart. And how knowing this should shape our everyday life and our everyday relationships. But before we dive into this, though, uh, let me pray. Oh, Father, Son, Spirit, I just... Literally, I invite you to have your way in this place this morning. Help us to hear exactly what it is we need to hear. Help us to be challenged in whatever way we need to be challenged and and encouraged in whatever way we need to be encouraged. God, as we think about all that you've done for us, we're overwhelmed with praise. You are so good to us. And so, God, we, we just ask your will to be done in this time, that your truths would be declared and received, and that we would respond in obedience. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Meet Jessica Meir. I'm Jessica Meir, and I'm a scientist at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Meir is a biologist and a postdoctoral researcher at the university. But to a brood of 12 goslings, she's also something else. Mom. They really think that I'm their mother. The seven-month-old bar-headed goslings, so-called for the stripes that adults have on their head, are imprinted on Mir. Imprinting was a process that started as soon as they hatched. I went to the Sylvan Heights Waterfowl Park in North Carolina uh, just in time a few days before the birds were going to hatch. And so I was the first thing that they saw. I actually held them in my hand um, as soon as they came out of the egg. All summer long, it was intensive bonding time between Mir and her chicks. And so we would spend long hours and days in North Carolina in the summer just sitting outside and they were crawling all over me and, and, and napping on top of me and then we would go for walks and come back and especially in the beginning I would say I'm not sure who's imprinted more, them on me or, or me on them. So this is a picture of something called imprinting. Imprinting is what you might describe as a natural instinct to attach to, to follow, and to depend, in particular, on a mother. But in the case of this, these geese, they don't know what their mother looks like, and so they end up imprinting on whatever it is that they think is going to meet their needs. They actually have this natural instinct from birth. And I first saw something about this when I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos with my son. And there were some pretty funny examples. And, and if you go on YouTube and look up 
this idea of imprinting, you will find so many crazy examples. There's ducks imprinting on cats, and there's eagles imprinting on humans, and there's one that's amazing of polar bears imprinting on humans, and there's even one, not lying, of a horse who imprinted on the mayor of Aspen. Um, um, But in every situation, what you see is this newborn imprinting on another with the idea that it is their mother and that that person or thing or whatever it is will meet all of their needs. They start to follow, they start to attach to, depend on, and even model that which they have chosen to imprint on. And so you see an example for uh, one like a duck that has imprinted on a cat, and they start uh, basically doing like a real-life Simon Says. They are born with this natural instinct to imprint. And so even though it's a duck that's imprinted on a cat, the duck starts acting like the cat. There's one where you literally see a cat nursing six ducks along with their baby kittens. Um, And what's really fascinating is that scientists say that it's in this natural imprinting process that animals get their identity. So take an example of a duck that imprints on the cat, right? The duck identifies itself as the duck that follows the cat in so much as they essentially think they're one in the same. And so because from birth they have followed, attached to, and depended on this cat, the moment they were born, it's where they get their identity. It's this incredibly strong bond that develops and shapes all of who they are. And what? Why do I share this random video? Well, I believe that all of humanity is created with the same natural instinct to imprint. We are born to follow something. We are born in such a way in which we are searching to find our identity in something. We are born to look for someone or something to fill our innermost needs. But as you can imagine, our needs go far beyond that of a goose or a horse, hopefully. We all have a need to feel as if our life is worth living that we are important, that we have significance, that we have a purpose, and that we are loved. And it's this internal drive that we all have, that we imprint, and it's a beautiful thing. It's God created it in us and gave us a literal, like, honing device that drives each and every one of us to a relationship with Jesus. Because in the end, what we find, God is the only one that can meet all of the deepest needs of our hearts, like our worth and our significance and our need for purpose and to be loved. No human can ultimately satisfy those hungers that is in each and every one of us. Only God can. And so that honing device is a good thing, right? Because it drives us towards Jesus. Now, the trouble is that we're born into a world that's full of lies, And the world is yet under the deceiver. Satan, Revelation 13 says, he deceives all the inhabitants of the earth. And so what happens is, right from the get-go, we're given false things that we're told to imprint on. Right? The world tells us a million different things that we should imprint on. So, for example, at some point, you were probably told that you should imprint on money because it's a dominant message of our culture. And we understand, right? Money is something you can depend on. It can make you feel secure. It can give you a purpose. It can give you identity. So you imprint on that. And so you literally spend your life chasing after that dollar, thinking if you get enough money, then everything will be good. Life will be worth living. You'll be rich unless you were born rich like me. Mm -hmm. Yo, where's Mark? I need some drums. Uh, But we can imprint on other things, right? Power. If only I get enough power, then my life will be worth living. Or pleasure. 
if I seek more and more of these experiences with this belief that at some point it's going to meet all my needs, some people imprint on religion, trying to make themselves feel super special before God in comparison to those other sinners, right? And so that makes life worth living. Some chase after fame, some chase after poverty, uh, uh, popularity, not so much poverty, uh, <laughs> Thank you, sleepiness. Um, And basically what's happened is we're saying to fame and popularity and pleasure and religion, whatever it is, will you meet all my needs? And all of us do this. It doesn't matter what it is you imprint on. If it's not God, it ultimately never works. It can't because the hunger that is in every one of our hearts there is to drive us to something that is way beyond what this world can provide. Our need for significance, worth, love, fullness of life, and all of that is something the world can never give and it can't take away. Just like this lady in this video ultimately cannot be a mother goose. So what happens is then we all start feeling really empty, unsatisfied, frustrated. Sometimes we can feel angry, just plain exhausted because we keep on chasing whatever it is. And every one of us here and every single person you will ever meet will be able to relate to this in some form or fashion. Now, evangelism, if you remember, means that we are bearers of good news. And we actually have really good news to bear on this reality. Because the central part of the good news is that you don't have to walk around with a hungry heart. You don't have to be chasing all those things. You can be released from that bondage. Amen? Because there is one that can meet those needs. In fact, that's why we have the hungry heart. And all this is found in the love of God as it is revealed on the cross through Jesus Christ. And so part of this good news is that you can experience a joy that is beyond anything this world can give. A peace that passes understanding. A love that is beyond all comprehension. That is good news that you have to offer people who are searching for something that will not fill up what they need. You don't have to be walking around with a hungry heart is a great message to share. But here's the thing. To be a bearer of good news is not just being a speaker of good news. right? You, we have to be one that embodies that good news. We have to manifest those realities in our day-to-day life. Like Paul said, we're to be living epistles, a living advertisement, a living ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so we need to know that first and foremost, the good news has got to be good news for us if we think we're ever going to be able to share it with others. We want to share it because it's good, but that means we have to be on the inside experiencing all of its goodness. So I'd argue as we begin, one of the most important questions that you could ask yourself when it comes to evangelism is this. Are we imprinting on Jesus? Are we imprinting on Jesus? Are we going to Jesus to get our innermost needs met? Are we getting filled up on a regular basis through a relationship with Jesus? Because everything in the kingdom of God runs on that. We should be living life to the full for free by grace, through Jesus, so we have a full heart and that everything we do should be an outflow of that fullness. So with that, I want to share kind of four principles that I think will help us 
to um, think about evangelism and what it looks like in our everyday life, what we've been calling everyday influence. And I want you to think about these as kind of four principles for embodying um, the good news. So I'd encourage you to write these down. The first one we're going to look at, first principle, is this, that we should regularly have our hungry heart filled with the love of God that was revealed through Jesus on the cross. That we should regularly go to Christ to get our hearts filled. You should have times in your week where you just sit and let God love you. It's a time for you to simply be you. And let God love you as you are. We need to be reminded, right? This is for our soul. It was designed for us. This is the air we're designed to breathe. And we are needing to be reminded that the very breath that is in us is the ultimate gift of life by God, solely by grace. We did nothing to deserve it. And so God simply loves us that much that he would go to the ends of the earth to give us life and meet all of our needs. This is where true life comes from. So we need to make space to have our hungry hearts filled and satisfied in our relationship with God. Do you do that? How often do you do that? Now, why is this important? Well, to the degree that our hungry heart is full, we will notice other people's empty hearts. So to say it another way, if you're walking around with an empty heart, you're never going to notice anybody else's empty heart because you're going to be so busy trying to fill your own. But if you're getting full for free by grace through Jesus, you'll start to notice other people's empty hearts, and it creates in you a longing to have the experience, that fullness, that you want them to experience it through a relationship with Jesus. If you're regularly imprinting on the true source of life being Jesus, you'll start to notice the false sources of life that other people have imprinted on, and it creates a longing in you, a desire to help them. It's like helping someone who's lost and needs directions, and you know how to get there. We want to offer it to them. It's a natural motivation of evangelism. It comes out of a fullness of heart through our relationship with Jesus. So today, how's your heart? Is it full on Jesus? Now, I want to illustrate what this looks like by looking at an example of this in the book of Acts, chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, um, you can open to Acts, chapter 17. We're going to start with verse 16. And if you don't, um, no worries, I will have it displayed on the wall behind me. But we're looking at an episode that deals with the Apostle Paul as he is discussing the gospel with people in Athens. And so it starts off with this first verse, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, meaning the disciples, in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And I can't express this word deeply distressed enough. He was out of his mind. He was frustrated. He was angry. He was, what he was experiencing wasn't good, and we need to remember that. In the midst of this, he's telling people about the gospel. He gets invited to be in this high religious council. And so the scripture goes on, verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood in front of this council, the Athenians, and I see how, and and this is what he says, he's in front of them all. He says, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Now, I want to pause here and say, what Paul is talking about is this very thing that was distressing to him. These idols that are out of his mind, just cannot handle... He is talking about that, and rather than go off on it, he actually says something of a compliment about this. 
I see you're very religious. He goes on to say, verse 23 through 24, For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. It goes on, verse 26. For from one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of their places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. So, so God is involved in this rising and falling of all nations, and his purpose is to create a hunger in people, that they would grope and search and find God. This is for every human being. And it goes on, though indeed he's not far away of each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. So what's going on Paul is in Athens. He is stressed. He's out of his mind. He's bothered by all these idols because if you're a first century Orthodox Jew, you hated adultery. Statues to gods and stuff like that was repulsive to them. And Athens is absolutely full of them. It'd be kind of like me going to share the gospel in the red light district of Amsterdam. Now, I've, I've never been there, but imagine I go there to share the gospel and they say there's literally blocks and blocks of buildings with just glass walls, with naked people dancing everywhere, trying to get you to come in for prostitution. And so I'm preaching the gospel in that context, and it would be absolutely distressing, right? It would be absolutely distracting in the sense I would want to scream, no, this is so wrong. But you see, if I want to talk to these people, and this is where these people are, I have to look beyond that. I have to be able to meet them on their terms, not them meet me on my terms. It's the same thing here with Paul. He would want to scream at the top of his lungs, this is so wrong, all of this idolatry everywhere. It's so vile, it's so bad, but he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he looks and sees the hunger behind the adultery. And as grieved as he is over the sin of adultery, what does he say? He compliments them and says to them, you guys are really religious, like extremely religious in every way. He's affirming the hunger that is behind the adultery, that's driving the adultery. And he knows that God is working on their hearts because God is working on everyone's heart, trying to fan the flame. So Paul knows this is just an expression of that hunger heart that's in them. And this connects to what Ben taught us last week of the power of truly knowing our neighbors. We need to know them to understand their heart. And this leads me to the second principle that we need to look. You can write this down. And that is that we need to look past whatever the sin you see to see the hunger that is behind it. God literally took sin off the table 2,000 years ago. There is no reason to bring it back, related to others or ourselves. Sadly, all we do is this all the time. We keep bringing it back. We keep bringing it back. Why? Well, well, we all grew up, generally speaking, in religious atmospheres, whether you know it or not, and we are trained to see sin. 
That's what we do. We notice it all the time, especially other people's sins, not so much ours, but we really can see everybody else's, right? And not only that, but we really like to point it out. You know what you're doing? So if you come from an environment like this, which pretty much all of us do, this is going to be a challenge to us. Where it's going to be something we have to work on. And it's very critical that we do work on it. Because imagine it this way, with regards to our story. If the Pharisees are watching Paul talk to the Athenians, this is what they would have said. What a compromiser. Look, he's talking to these idolaters. He's not even pointing out their sin. He's actually complimenting them. What kind of a preacher is this? He's not cracking down on sin like you're supposed to. Right? It's the same way they judged Jesus. What kind of a Messiah is this? He's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He's not railing on them. He's going to parties with them. He's having them over for dinner. In reality, this authentic caring for and sharing with others is what attracted the lost of every kind to hear Jesus' message of unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. This good news that God doesn't hold our sin against us causes the playing field to be leveled, which is a real threat for the highly religious because we like to leverage ourselves between others. Now, in our world today, the Pharisee could take the form of a general religious accuser, right? And we probably all know someone like that. We've all experienced someone like that. We've probably been that way, right? We've, we've made our judgments and we've pointed them out. But sometimes it could be as simple as a voice inside our own head, right? It's an accusing voice that says we're condoning the behavior of another if we don't call it out and judge it as sin. You ever heard that voice? And that's what the accuser wants you to think. That is not Jesus. Greg Boyd described this saying that we have to remember that we all have brain damage, I love that, right? That religion causes brain damage. So when we hear the voice of accusation, the voice telling us we need to judge and point out everyone's sin, we need to stop and tell ourselves that is not from God. It's our damaged brain talking. It's not the Holy Spirit talking. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. And I want to just say this. If you're not clear on what it's like to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, you need to go back to that first principle and get in a place where you are getting to feel and be filled by God just for who you are. And you need to go back and listen to Greg's sermon because it's really good. We need to be able to understand the difference between the voice of God and the lies. We need to know the voice of the Spirit. Now, there's a third principle, and that is... um, to listen carefully and learn about the life and worldview of the other person so we can connect with them. And this sounds kind of easy. I can do that. But it actually is not easy. Listening is hard, especially when it comes to people who are different from us. And I'm only going to give one example. I'm just going to say political differences. We all know what it's like to have conversations who, with people who stand on a very different side of us politically, especially right now. And so what happens is it can be exhausting, and it can be boring, and it can be frustrating, and it can be infuriating, and, and everything in you wants to point out where the other person is wrong. But to embody evangelism in this idea of everyday influence, we need to listen and we need to learn. We need to listen to the whispers 
of the hungry heart in the other and learn. Paul did this in our text today. Look, look what it says in verse 23. For as I, Paul, went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship. He's going through the entire city that's full of idols. Something he cannot stand. He's going around looking at them, studying them. He found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Paul couldn't stand these idols. This was like the worst thing he could possibly do. And yet he studied them. He went through the entire city looking carefully at each one. Why? Well, because he wants to relate to the Athenians. He wants to understand them and learn from them and what drives them. And this wasn't a pleasant experience for him. But it's in this study where he finds one out of all of them where he can find some connection to. This idol to an unknown god. And again, instead of arguing with thousands of different ones, this one's wrong because of this, this one's wrong for that, that one, all of these are wrong for this reason. Instead of doing all that, he focuses on the one that he has a connection with, and he says, hey, can we talk about this one? I'd love to talk with you about this one. He sees an opening. This idol is one that best expresses their hungry heart. They admit that they don't know everything. They admit that their system is incomplete. It shows that God is at work in their life and that he's fanning the hunger that is within them. These people are acknowledging that there may be a God out there that they don't know about and that their gods aren't completely satisfying them. This isn't easy. It takes effort. And it requires a certain level of love for that person or else why bother, right? And our call is to love people, and loving people means listening to them and learning from them and looking for the echoes of the hungry heart that is in everyone. Think of it this way, on your own. When, when you talk to Jesus, does he listen to you? Yes? We all agree? Good. Uh, now, is there anything in your life that he might disagree with? Case closed, right? We are to love people the way Jesus loves us. We are to relate with others the same way Jesus relates to us because Jesus was the ultimate example of listening and learning. We don't see Jesus going around after every single thing that's wrong with us before he listens to us, right? No. So we listen and learn and look for the echoes of the hungry heart that is there in every single person. It's there as a sign to us, which we need. It's a sign to us that God's working in their life. And it's there where we can help connect that hunger to the only one that can satisfy it. There's certainly much that Jesus could disagree with about our lifestyle, both external and internal, but he listens patiently in order to learn how we think and what makes us tick, and he loves us no matter what. And the truth is that evangelism is far more about listening and learning than about talking and teaching. And if we're coming at this with this full heart because of our relationship with Jesus, and we listen to and learn of those places of hunger in another, it's then where it will become as natural to us as offering someone who is thirsty some water to drink. 
which isn't hard to do. And that leads me to the last principle I want to get at, this fourth and final one, and that is that we need to know that evangelism is to be a byproduct of loving people, not the other way around. And again, this taps on a lot of the fears that we have. Um, We are not to listen and learn so that we get our turn to talk, but because we're interacting with another that is made in the very image of God, just like us, that deserves our love and attention. There's no one of humanity who doesn't deserve our love and attention. I remember one of the evangelism training tools that I went to, and I won't use the name, but it was basically the training entailed having someone who most likely you had never met before, um, and you walked up to them with a, with a you know, notebook or something that had a bunch of questions that you would ask them, and you really would just get them to answer all these questions, and it really didn't matter how they answered any of them. You were just leading them to get to the last thing, which was telling them about Jesus. So you, you really didn't even have to listen to any of their answers. It really didn't matter because really all you were trying to do was get to the end. And it doesn't surprise me why I would have my own evangel phobias, right? Because this is wrong. This is not the example that we see of Jesus or anywhere in the scriptures. And I want you to see that. That is not the way of Jesus. Loving on another with an agenda to evangelize insults a person's worth and comes across as incredibly insecure and insincere. It makes people feel used, if they think we're in a relationship with them in order to fulfill our agenda of sharing Jesus. No, we love people because our Lord says every human being is worth loving. Jesus shows us that every human being is worth loving because he died an unsurpassable, unamazingly powerful death to show our, our worth. Right? The price that was paid shows the worth of all humanity. And as a result, if you're in a life-giving relationship with God and someone you come into contact with is hungry, it becomes very natural to share the source of your fulfillment. Evangelism, again, is a byproduct of a loving relationship with people. And so I I want you to hear these things. I, I need to be reminded of these. I've been challenged by this. I've been guilty of my letting my evangel phobia get in the way. And as we launch this dinner church, it's not just for the dinner church, but it's important for our dinner church to know we're serving a meal because we have a meal to serve and we love people, period. We have something to learn from whoever comes there as they have something to learn from us. And we hope that we can learn about Jesus all together. And that's how it should be with all of our relationships. And it should be a natural thing. Just like when we find someone who's thirsty and we say, I got some water for you. you're hungry for something. I got something for you. But it's far more than food. It's far more than water. It's something that transforms lives. Now, as we close, I'd invite you to close your eyes for a minute. And I just want you to imagine what it would look like if we could all just lose our evangel phobia. If we could just drop any of the evangelism baggage And bad experiences we have, we could just lose it. Can you imagine what would happen if we really saw people the way God does, made in the very image of God? Imagine that. If we are all fully experiencing the really good news ourselves, 
that as a royal priesthood, we are all following the promptings of the Holy Spirit with those we know and love in our neighborhood. Can you imagine what would happen if we, in the fullness of our relationship with Jesus, could just hear and see and listen and learn about the hungry heart at the core of those who are lost around us so that we could share the one thing that can truly satisfy that hunger. That, church, is what everyday influence is all about. And it's what we're all called to do. Now, you can open your eyes. Um, I want you to be holding on to that picture. Today, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up and the prayer team to come forward as well. And as they do, I'd like to invite you to pull out your connection card because I have a couple questions for you that I would love to hear from. It kind of just makes things a little more personable. Um, And if you just want to answer one question, that's fine. Um, But the question I have is this. What did you hear or what stuck out to you? Could be anything. Uh, Simple question. Number two. Who do you know that would benefit from you sharing this good news with them? Right now, as we're talking, you might all of a sudden become more aware of some of the the whispers and the echoes of the hungry heart in some people that you know, because you know them really well. And maybe you hadn't thought about it that way before. Who is that person? And number three, in what ways has this series challenged or changed the way you view evangelism? And I would truly love to hear from you. As the worship team is up here, they're going to play for a little bit and give you some space to respond to at least one of those questions, if not more. And as you leave today, again, I want to remind you, if you just stick that connection card in one of those wood boxes, that would be fantastic. We have been given this incredible honor to share this good news with people, to help people understand and accept the truth, the reality uh, of what Jesus has done for them to have a relationship with a God who would do anything to have a relationship with them. And and I want us to really hold on to that. So please take a moment. The prayer team is up here as well. If you have prayer needs during this time, you can come up. If this is something you've heard now for the first time and you're like, man, this is good news. I need to get a bit of that. Please come up. They would love to pray for you. Um, If you have questions about this, please come talk to me. Um, But before I close this in prayer, I want to leave you with a thought. Um, it's a verse that came to me last night as I was finalizing this sermon, um, and it, was, it hit me strong uh, to the point where I was crying a bit. And I was praying about the sermon and our all-church meeting coming up just following, and, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me I should open my Bible. And when I did, I turned to this text in Second Kings. And, and I'm going to just be really honest. I didn't study it. I didn't go in the back store. I didn't do any of these things. But I read these words, and it was important for me as a person who's been a follower of Christ for a long time, and I think it's important for us as a church that's been around for 40 years. And it's, it's a, a verse, and it just says this. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Now, again, I'm not going to go back and give you the full study of it. It's a fascinating story, but that's the core of it. 
Is there something we've been doing? Is there something we've been investing all of our time in and putting all our efforts into? And it's not really what we should be doing. Are we sitting on this truth, this good news, and keeping it to ourselves? And so I don't know if that hits you the way it hit me, um, but I hope it does a little bit. So I'm going to close this in prayer. You'll get some time to respond, and then we'll worship together. And then, again, remind you to hopefully stick around as we enter into our all-church meeting. That would be fantastic. Let's pray. God, this fullness of life that we have in you, Jesus, is not to be kept to ourselves. You have set the example and you have given us the call. You have provided your Holy Spirit and you have met all the needs of our hungry hearts. You have reconciled us to yourself through the cross so that we can have a forever relationship with you. Man, talk about good news. But God, never let it be said that we as individuals or as a church, that we let evangelophobia get in the way of us sharing this good news with others. That we let it keep us from embodying this good news in our day-to-day life. Father, Son, Spirit, may we be a church and a people that is living lives of love to everyone. I don't know about everybody else, but God, help us to make space to have our hungry hearts filled by you. Help us to listen to your Spirit and to the whispers of the hungry hearts around us. God, out of the fullness of our relationship with you, help us share the good news with others. And Lord, corporately and individually, we recognize and declare we cannot do this alone. We need you. And we thank you that you're always with us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.